I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with medical device cybersecurity expert Ken Hoyme, who recently joined the advisory board of security firm MedCrypt. Ken recently retired from medical device maker Boston Scientific, where he served as a senior product security fellow. So Ken, for starters, please tell us a little bit about your new role at MedCrypt and what you hope to bring to the company in terms of medical device cybersecurity expertise. In the advisory board role, I expect to be you know, reviewing strategies, being a, a subject matter expert as they wrestle with the direction of their tools and services business. I have a deep involvement with the industry side, the medical device manufacturer side, both from Boston Scientific as well as various different uh, national committees that I've been involved with. So uh, I can provide kind of the experienced advice for what goes on in the inside of a medical device manufacturer, how they think, and how that might help uh, improve the uh, services and product offerings that MedCrypt makes. So Ken, as you look at the healthcare ecosystem, what areas of medical device cybersecurity are you most concerned about these days and why? So I think, you know, there's really two sides to what's happening in the industry. One is the go forward position, which is, you know, the development of new devices that are being put on the market. And I think the large scale medical device manufacturers have, who have been participating for several years to have reasonably mature programs going forward for their devices. But for every large manufacturer, there's probably a couple of dozen smaller ones that haven't necessarily connected to what they need to do. And so I think the, you know, the opportunity with MedCrypt to be able to serve the needs of those smaller manufacturers and teach them efficiently how to build their products to meet the security needs of network hospitals in, in, in today is, is certainly a, a critical area that we need to reach out to. It's uh, certainly, you know, Boston Scientific was on the acquisition side a lot. And at times when you acquire a company that hasn't paid attention to cybersecurity, there's considerable remediation that has to happen to bring that that acquired company's products up to the security standards of the of the of the acquiring company. So there's certainly benefit to do that. I think the industry also continues to struggle with securing legacy devices and things that were that get network that may not have been initially designed with the idea of secure network operations. Certainly there's a, a ongoing industry work in terms of how to wrestle with a legacy issue. So Ken, what are some of the most impactful advances that you've seen in medical device cybersecurity and where is improvement still needed the most and why? Sure. I think the, the push toward using threat modeling techniques and trying to get them as early as possible in the development phase is really an impactful side of, uh, for, for the industry. It really is the tools necessary to think about device architecture. It is not just how do I patch the system when it's fielded to make it secure, but early in the design process, manufacturers make decisions about what security controls they're going to put in their device. And threat modeling helps you identify those weaknesses and make sure that the controls you specify up front are adequate to secure the device. So I think the FDA funded uh, MDIC and MITRE to develop the threat modeling bootcamp and threat modeling playbook. They've certainly pushed for it in their regulatory expectations. I think uh, industry, you know, again, it's a it's varies across industry about those that have adopted it well and those are who are yet to adopt it. But I think that's a, a key area. 
The other area I would say is probably uh, understanding software bill of materials. And we certainly have started down the path of how to develop them. Um, the NTIA work, which has moved to CISA, is you know, defining baseline expectations for a software bill of material. But I think there's a lot of room yet to understand how we manage software bills of materials. It's, it's one thing to generate and deliver them. It's another to be able to utilize them effectively to make security decisions, make patching decisions. So I, you know, I think in, in the case of MedCrypt, the, the Heimdall tool that MedCrypt develops is a, is a start down that path toward helping manufacturers manage a family of, uh, of software bill of materials in a way to allow them to be quick and responsive. So Ken, you mentioned the SBOMs, you mentioned threat modeling, and as we know, the FDA recently released updated draft guidance for the cybersecurity of pre-market medical devices. And among the various recommendations, the FDA is proposing medical device makers provide a software bill of materials for their products. What's your take on SBOMs and the approach that medical device makers should take and what are some of the challenges that you often hear in terms of medical device makers offering these SBOMs for their products? Software bill of materials is kind of like a, a necessary starting step. The classic rule in cybersecurity is you can't protect what you don't know you have. And so software bill of materials at least exposes what the underlying third-party software is to allow an end user to understand and a manufacturer to quickly understand when they may have a vulnerable software component in one of their devices. I think there are a couple of different challenges that we'll see in the industry. One at the manufacturer level, which is, for example, WannaCry, when it hit back, I think in 2017, exploited a Microsoft networking standard. And it was an old standard, which old devices may have used, but a lot of devices did not use that networking standard. If you do not have that networking function enabled, you weren't vulnerable to want to cry. And yet there was a patch that permanently fixed it. So saying that you had a vulnerable version of the Windows operating system didn't tell you whether or not that particular protocol was in use and whether that that device would be vulnerable to it. The NTIA group or the, the SBOM group has proposed a VEX, which I believe is vulnerability exchange language. And that's supposed to meet the ability for you to be able to publish that this particular CVE is not implemented in this device or is shielded in a way that it's not exploitable. So management of communication of VEX data on top of software bill of materials is necessary, but it certainly complicates the communication path about what it is. So I think the ability to manage the knowledge of when a vulnerability isn't exploitable. And then I wrestle from the hospital side as I remember at one conference I was at many years ago, uh, a cybersecurity person from a large hospital system talked about having like 150,000 network devices of 2,500 different types uh, from 500 different manufacturers. And clearly and across the big system, they maybe take several months to get a patch deployed. So. You might have devices that have multiple versions out there. And so they could have multiple SBOM versions relevant for 2,500 different devices they're trying to get from 500 suppliers. So I think the volume of data and how, as an industry, we manage that effectively. They can't go to 500 websites to download 2,500 SBOMs 
every week to see what's updated. So I think the industry still needs to come up with solutions that deal with that many-to-many distribution problem. So Ken, with that said, any predictions for what we might see in terms of promising medical device cybersecurity advancements in the months and years ahead? Well, certainly. I think obviously, as we are able to communicate software bill of materials, I think that whole our post-market vulnerability patch management is being actively worked. And I, I expect that we will see means to more quickly deal with, more effectively deal with the distribution of patch systems. I think there is you know, a lot of development work going on in things like zero trust, understanding better how to securely uh, deploy cloud-based systems and understanding if you are using a cloud-based system to serve a very highly available need, like in a surgical theater, then the availability of the network becomes high. So understanding you know, how, how to deal with uh, when cloud is appropriate, when local host is appropriate is gonna be another area I think of uh, active development. I'm encouraged by you know things like the, the healthcare sector coordinating council, health ISACs, uh, medical device security information sharing council are real forums now where the networking people in the HDO side and the medical device manufacturer security people are talking and, and understanding the problems of each side. And I think that's, that's something that just continues to grow over the last five years and will continue in the future. And finally, Ken, what about legacy medical devices? You mentioned that earlier on. Any top advice for how healthcare entities, the delivery organizations, can get a better handle on managing the cybersecurity risk for the products they already have in their organizations? Well, yeah, I think obviously, you know, the sophisticated hospitals have done good inventory management, the, the smaller ones may not have. So I think first getting a handle on what you have in and ensuring that the device tracking systems that they use for, you know, maintaining calibrations and that type of stuff are augmented with the security and SBOM information necessary so that they can understand it. I think SBOMs will be very effective in a procurement environment because you're not dealing with you know, high-speed rapid response for multiple ones. So I think making sure that the hospital procurement system has uh, evaluations of SBOMs and MDS squared forms to uh, to use that, I think, in terms of overall risk management, using the information in those asset inventories to decide the highest risk and, and focus the uh, risk reduction on the on the highest risk device, and that that includes legacy devices in terms of things they can do on their network to try to reduce the risk. But I think, to my earlier comment, the ongoing challenges about how to manage SBOM at scale tends to hit if you're trying to use SBOMs to say. Wanna cry came out, what do I do today? And that, that obviously requires more work to satisfy that very fast reactive issue. But we're on a journey and we've made it a long way. There's a long way to go, but I think the, the right mechanisms are in place to both from the regulators and their, and their encouragement and participation, as well as the hospitals, manufacturers and sharing organizations. Well, thank you very much, Ken. I've been speaking to Ken Hoyme. I'm Marianne Kolbisak-Begee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for joining us.